Welcome to the Digital Marketing Insights Podcast, brought to you by Brightside Digital. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to say today we have Paul with us. Paul's a marketing director. Paul, how are you doing? I'm very good, Tom. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Paul, we start off the show the same as always. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career today? Sure, no problem. So, look, yeah, thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, yeah, I get to ask this quite an awful lot, Tom. Um, so, I did actually have a quick review of, the, of all the podcasts. So, I have actually probably been in pretty much most of those roles from digital to media to SEO to loyalty over my past 25 years in marketing. But the interesting thing is I didn't start off that way. So I actually started off in architecture, as in the real architecture, not um, coding architecture. And then um, it brought me into psychology of all places, cognitive psychology. And the reason why that happened is I just want to understand more about perception and how you know people see things in terms of communications and verbally, non-verbally. So the likes of body language and how you can read things. I was quite curious about that. So eventually that brought me into kind of agency land. So I've worked on both sides of agency land, which eventually put me through uh, on my marketing career. So again, I've worked with Lloyd's Pharmacy. I've worked with Circle K. I've worked at Aramark. And now I'm work- working with uh, TechFinder as a marketing director. And Paul, obviously with all your experience today, is there anything that you would identify as your main strength in digital? Yeah, um, I suppose if you're talking about um, if it's about traffic itself, but I suppose overall in digital, uh, it's the new things that you don't learn. Because we have a global product, uh, I'm able to identify new ways of, um, I suppose, for B2B and B2C. The big thing for me was realizing that there's many other social media channels out there than the normal ones that are always spoken about. So to give you an example, um, we use Telegram quite an awful lot, which is not commonly used in Europe. Uh, it's very much used in, in Asia and the States. And that's been a massive um, kind of CPA for us, so cost per acquisition in terms of driving traffic to our digital strategies online. Um, we do use things like HubSpot, uh, which is great. So that's an API integrated into our website. And we're able to see an awful lot of data because it takes to be quite uh, integral to how I can make decisions on spend or, or different things like that. Um, yeah, so overall, you have your typical ones, which is organic, direct, but there are other ways of driving traffic and interesting ways of kind of projecting your digital uh, marketing. I find that very fascinating. Obviously, I, I use Telegram as well, but that's, yeah, I, I won't really go into the details of why I use it, but uh, I am, I'm completely with you in that there's so many different platforms out there that could be right for for businesses audiences but they they haven't identified they just jump on the bandwagon of of the the big ones i suppose your facebook instagrams and so on yeah it depends on your locations i suppose i mean you know we have we're in 148 countries worldwide um so we can kind of see you know which which forms of digital is working the best so if it's actually pr if it's above the line below the line digital um if it is social media if it's seo so we can kind of see which areas of which countries, for example. So say Northern India would be very, very different to Southern India in terms of um, the likes of Snapchat and the likes of uh, Instagram. But then again, in the likes of Norway and Sweden, it's very much about a direct kind of PR um, physical presence as well. 
And from a, obviously you're kind of talking about different audiences and different platforms and habits that different countries and cultures have, but do you mm -hmm. find you have a, a good analytical mind that can identify these opportunities? And, and is that what you present a lot of time is saying, okay, we'll change our strategy for this country or place? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's kind of, um, it's one of the key software pieces I use for me, myself and my role um, as kind of as head of. So I would kind of look at the macroeconomics of an awful lot of things. So identifying new uh, entries to market and new uh, ways of kind of penetrating the brand to um, look at identifying our, our competitors. So, for example, um, we use HubSpot, as I mentioned, and, and Google Analytics. Um, and we've built our own dashboard in Tableau. So every day I can see how the sales are, are coming in, where there's new B2C registrations coming in. So what I'm able to do is identify, for example, this week alone, we identified Nigeria as being a new core area for us to focus our marketing on uh, for the next month. Um, and I'm able to see that through, yeah, analytics, analysis, but also an awful lot of the social media um, APIs that come in and tell us what kind of people we'll be dealing with. I suppose the biggest thing for me, and I, th I think a lot of people don't know about this, Tom, is that the simple thing called notes, which I use on Apple, are probably the biggest tool and most important tool to me uh, away from analytics. And the reason why is that when you're on your laptop like today um, and you realize some things that come in through emails, you put little notes in your, in your notepad uh, on Apple. But then that's linked straight back to your phone. So, you know, when you're actually in transit, you can pick up where you took off from on your phone and actually put in some new new points in as well. Brilliant. So you've kind of hacked a way of working on the go uh, as well as, yeah, when you're, you're present in an office or so on. Um, do you find, you, you mentioned HubSpot there, which has come up a good few times. Um, and there's obviously different, variants of hubspot and integrations and how, how mm -hmm. far do you go do you like put in apis of all your different social platforms how, how do you use your hubspot yeah so hubspot is mainly used for i suppose sales and marketing but you can use it for support tickets as well so what we do we integrate not everything because if i'm honest with you when you actually integrate every api known into your system it devalues the um the value of your product uh, in terms of investors and things like that. So what you need to do is actually keep it around 15% uh, your product to, to, be, to be linked to API. So specifically in HubSpot, we use it for um, sales professional. So what would happen is that we would see the lead generation coming in and we'd see uh, performance marketing and how that affects different um, characteristics and decision-making in our sales funnel. And at the same time, we can track and actually post out social media content at the same time as well. Brilliant, brilliant. And away from HubSpot, and I think you've touched on a couple of other softwares already, but is there any softwares that you use personally that I go to to help you either make strategies, identify different areas, or seeing how your team's doing? Yeah, we, well, I suppose Teams itself has become hugely advantageous for us because it's it's the breakouts because we do an awful lot of interviews, so I'm constantly hiring people. So when you have uh, something like Teams, um, it's part of a conversation I'll have in a minute, but you're actually uh, allowing them to come in and you're, you're able to capture, record videos, and then all of that is also linked into HubSpot as well. So when you have client calls, you can record them and then show the sales team how to use this uh, to their advantage. 
so they can, um, you know, when they're doing their own sales calls in terms of education and training. Um, outside of Teams and the usual HubSpot and things like that, um, we do use social media channels uh, just to look at the value of a, of a customer. So in terms of the customer uh, retention value. So what will happen with things like that is that we can see the cloud, they're kind of like cloud scores. You can see a scoring mechanism based on um, a sector someone's in, based on the seniority of a person who's in, based on the years of experience and based on the skill level as well. And what we do is we segment our audience in such a way that we can provide positives or negative scoring, which will then alleviate the from MQLs into SQLs. Where the locations are from, the seniority of the person, and then if they have a social media channel, that links back to the sentiment. So at the moment, we have an 82% positive sentiment and 18% neutral sentiment. So what's important to me is to have um, none, no negative sentiment. And all of that is provided like a cloud score. How do you how do you work with a negative sentiment? Do you reach out and try and get that removed or you just you have to accept it and try and uh, eventually check it out? Well, I, I, we live in a world, Tom, uh, where, you know, Google reviews and there are review, reviews everywhere. So it's, it's, it's quite a difficult space to be in because you need to be constantly protective, which I am uh, of the brand that basically I started up with our CEO around three years ago. And um, so I would constantly review our different Google My Businesses to make sure that, you know, the speed of response is, is accurate. And at the same time, um, I'm quite protective in terms of people, how to use our brand. So our brand guidelines have been built. So, you know, if there's people who are using our brand to promote uh, internally and also if any of our agencies are using it, we need to be sure that our brand has a positive sentiment and actually means something more than just an identity. Really well said. And Paul, just to focus on yourself for a second, is there any areas you're looking to upskill into or further improve and why? Yeah, um, so as I said, my, my background's kind of in psychology um, and architecture, and oddly enough, um, the biggest thing I, I suppose I've stayed away from to an extent is practical coding. And the reason why all of a sudden this has become more important to me since January this year is that we rely heavily on our development team, which consists of around 80 people. So what I'd like to do is because we have integrated APIs, you can do an awful lot of your CMS yourself, but for the extra kind of um, inspirational pages that you want to have, for exa example, splash pages and things like that, I think it's necessary for the marketing team to kind of upskill themselves, especially me, uh, and how to use the practicalities of coding, which in turn will reduce, um, you know, the amount of um, car, the amount of memory that's been used in, in our different uh, data, data centers, which kind of leads me on to my favorite topic, which is sustainability. Brilliant. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about sustainability. Um, obviously, um, we've spoken about this before, but how do you see digital and the future of sustainability in digital? Yeah, so this is a topic, um, you know, I'll, if I'm honest, I may well get in trouble for this, but a lot of marketeers uh, talk about sustainability. A lot of business owners talk about sustainability as part of their, you know, their CRS, CRR, CSR message. Um, I'd be quite practical about this in saying that, you know, marketing and sustainability are two words that you commonly don't see uh, that often because in order to market a product, 
you generally, you know, you do the physical route of it. If it's actually a physical product, which, you know, you're kind of reliant on um, non-sustainable products. But what I mean by this is not about uh, the packaging. And I don't mean about um, in terms of just two more and more social media. And I don't mean more and more in terms of actually not physically meeting people. You should be doing uh, videos. What I mean is actually building code that can be recycled. So if I can just explain that a bit more. So at the moment, I said in practice last November um, that we would push forward with our coding with our team, but that the coding can be reused when we bring our apps this year. And initially, there's a lot of discussions with our CTO and the overall um, leadership team. But my point was that you know, you're, you're using up more data houses um, in all our different locations across the world. And why can't we actually have this ready um, to preempt what we're going to be building? So essentially what I've done now is that we have now two, we're two months ahead of where you would normally be when you're bringing out apps for the Android or iOS market. And having that sustainable coding built already um, reduces the amount of memory and reduces the amount of speed time from people are using your products. But to me, it actually removes the, um, the uncertainty of, you know, how much uh, energy you use up as well. That's incredible. So, can you help uh, for me to understand how you can go about setting up a kind of roadmap to, to develop your code in a certain way that it will quickly um, it will, it will transfer over to iOS and Android kind of applications? And, and how is it, is it when you say that, is it the build of the page or the, the, the different versions of the site mm. that then you know by doing that, it's going to be at app standards from the off. Um, okay, so I'll answer it in two ways. One is that in order to get um, quality coding done in such a way that it can be, I suppose, tangential, that you can use it for different things, you need to have upcoming skills and upcoming uh, talent. And ironically, an awful lot of the youth that we're trying to hire at the moment are very much interested in sustainability. And it is one of their foremost um, ideologies that they want to get into. So when you hire a younger generation who are heavily um, active and about the environment and social responsibility, um, they are the ones who can will make the effort, more of an effort and the passion to actually, I suppose, split your code in such a way that it will be more, um, more better for the planet. But also the advancements that they are bringing to our company alone are, are allowing us to realize that we can actually build platforms by not having to redo all the code again. We have a, a system in place that I probably can't go into at the moment, but that we can actually afford to get things done an awful lot quicker and uh, for less of the cost and less of the, um, the data being used. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and Paul, do you want to add anything else to that? How do you, how you mentioned you spend a lot of time hiring, but yeah. how do you identify talent that would have these kind of values? And how do you know that they are going to come in and, and push on your business uh, to that kind of point? Yeah, so I actually go out of my way, Tom, to um, do every second round interview with anyone. Uh, that's been hired for the company and I kind of pushed that from the start when I joined the company and the reason why is because of my background in psychology it's to be able to you know usually when you interview people you have their resume in front of you you have the video call uh, or, or if they are 
physically in front of you and then you have their LinkedIn profile more than likely. So what's always been important to me and it is best practice, and I, I get all my teams to use the same practice is that it's about matching. So does the person you're speaking to match that CV? Does the person you're speaking to match that profile that you're reviewing? Are, is the key thing, is it about skills? Is it about experience or is it about trust and realizing that someone actually has that unbelievable passion that comes from their body language that they're able to see and they're able to focus on what's really, really important for you, but also what's really, really important to them. So most of my questions, and I usually ask the same nine questions, is it's more geared towards them. What do they want out of this position? What are they looking for? Um, how can they make an impact? What's been done wrong? So I, I'm nearly interviewing them to learn more about myself and learn more about my, about my product. Yeah, really well said. Lastly, Paul, we always ask everyone on the show, if you could bottle up one personality trait that you have that you think would be, you could pass on to others that you think would be a good idea to pass on to others, what would it be? The greatest trait you can get and pass on to others, and if you can master it, it's something that you can't learn in college. It's not something that you um, do a PhD in. It's not something that you buy. It's called focus, and it is the hardest thing, uh, let me tell you, for any any director, uh, any um, junior, anybody, because you have so many opportunities to do other things, but you have to say to yourself, that is such a great idea and that is such a thing I need to do. I need to hire that. I need to enter into that country. I need to do um, a tour in South America, which we're doing next year. But actually, at, at this moment in time, I need to focus on getting this, this project completed. And what I mean by focus is that you, you and your, your team are focused on what needs to be done. And that's really, really, a really difficult thing to do in, in every uh, walks of life, uh, not just in, in, in marketing. Um, it's a key thing that I really value more and more as I, as I, as I, I suppose as I get older. And um, it's not about reading books, it's just practice. So if you practice what you preach in such a way that you actually push focus on, and that comes from the top down, um, sometimes you can push focus to the teams that work for you, but what I actually push more is to the, um, the CEO and the CFO and, and people in my companies to push on with focus. Yeah, yeah, especially, uh, I, I suppose, one of the skills in someone in your position is to remind a CFO or a CEO or whoever is um, working with yourself, you have, to, you have to work out a way of reminding them, okay, that's great if they see something new or want to push on another area, but to like you say focus finish off projects execute in a timely ma manner but correctly not rushed doing it eff effectively and then working on the next project so yeah i i find <clears throat> a lot of businesses they can try and do several things at the same time and actually mm -hmm. the end is it's just there's no direction there's no focus in any area it's, it just turns into a place of you're just getting by every week on week, you know, in different areas. Well, yeah. well it's it kind of, it goes back to the, the two simple pillars in marketing, which is either, it's either tactical or it's strategic. You know, it's, it's tactical is something that is just a, a decision made there and then based on um, a feeling, a gut strategic is something that, you know, you have to get to, and you know, you need to focus on that. And we have a system in work uh, called P1s and P2s and T1s and T2s. So like priority ones, priority twos, tier ones and tier twos. 
So what I ask of all my teams is that you have to have a T1 for every quarter that you have to do. Have to do. And every week you have to have a P1 and have that completed by the week. So it kind of sets a hierarchy on what needs to be done and, and helps people focus on what, what the important things are. That's brilliant. Honestly, Paul, I could talk all day to you, but that's it. That's the end of the show. What a great uh, episode. And thank you so much for being on. You're very welcome, Tom.